Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. So in latest, of course, they are news. <laughs> Lawyers for former star of Celebrity Apprentice Donald Trump are now urging a federal appeals court to rule, you ready, that Donald Trump can't be sued by anyone for allegedly inciting the terrorist attack on our Capitol in 2021 because private citizen Trump has total immunity from such lawsuits. Now, again, if Bill Clinton shows his dick to Paula Jones, he has no immunity from lawsuits. But if Donald Trump incites a mob to beat the hell out of cops and defecate in our capital to try to overturn democracy and throw out the will of the voters, oh, no, 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 he has complete immunity. If you're as shocked and yet not shocked as I am by this, you'll be glad we have our next guest. Corey Brettschneider is one of our favorites. He is, of course, a man who enriches the lives of students in the poli-sci department at Brown University. He's been writing great analysis of politics for the New York Times, Time Magazine, Politico. His essential book is The Oath and the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. I love this book. It is a great book to give as a gift. Also, his new Penguin Liberty series on free speech, impeachment, and the notable cases of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Professor Brett Schneider, it's good to have you back. Thanks, John. Looking forward to the conversation as always. Thank you. So, I mean, obviously, it's been rather gripping watching um, the House committee hearings. And uh, I want to ask your thoughts on the most recent one we had last Thursday. Uh, it was great to do the play-by-play with you afterwards. And, and it seems like there's a lot more that's going to come out. I got to be honest, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that the former president's lawyers are trying to shield him from any possible civil lawsuits as the heat gets higher and higher. Yes. And, you know, sometimes what the Trump lawyers say is completely made up. Of course, in the extreme case, the Giuliani uh, clown car, as they rightly were called by the, their opponents within the Trump administration, said all sorts of things that were ridiculous and from a legal standpoint, just way out there. But this isn't, unfortunately, and I definitely agree with you, this is not something that should be, but unfortunately, this isn't that out there. There's a case uh, from the Nixon administration called Nixon versus Fitzgerald that they're relying on that is about Richard Nixon being sued after he was president for uh, a firing that was basically... The accusation was motivated by 
justify, you know, corrupt motives by, by in the, the 80s, right? It was in the 80s, right? Um, yeah, I don't have the t- time exactly, but that sa- sounds right. It was, you know, well after he was president. And the court did, he won. The court said that former presidents have immunity. Now, this is going to be the crucial part for um, actions that they took in their quote-unquote official capacity. Now, that's going to be the key here. I mean, so to me, I I think that's a real, you know, legal argument about immunity. But it's not an argument for absolute immunity because you have to show that the president was acting in his official capacity. Now, was he acting in official capacity in trying to overturn an election and trying to stoke a riot? That's, I think, the winning argument against them that, uh, you know, this is a world of difference from a firing you know, even if it was for bad motive, that if you're acting to basically destroy the country, that's not an official duty. That's the opposite. And the case actually has this language that's going to be crucial about um, whether or not the president is acting within the right. outer perimeter of his or her official duties. And this is like way beyond, I think. This is crazy. The outer I, perimeter. I, I... I mean, Corey, you know, I've mentioned to you my theory about Donald Trump's attorneys in the past. My theory being that Donald Trump's lawyers are grifting off of Donald Trump for the billable hours like Trump is (laughs) grifting off of everything in his life. Because to me, it's just Donald Trump is a he's like an endowment for sleazy lawyers to just get paid and paid and paid and know that when you donate to his pack, you're donating to a law firm. But even this is wacky. I I know they've got to run out. Oh, go ahead, please. I was going to say, sometimes I think they are running a scam on them. Here, they, you know, I, I, I could tell you what I think the answer is. And in the, in the office, I talk about why there shouldn't be immunity for presidents, and certainly in cases like this or where they act corruptly. But, the, you know, we've got to remember the Supreme Court is in his hands. And as much as there are moments where those judges are not going to go along with them, I just think if they have the opportunity to use previous precedent to protect them, there's a good chance they'll do so. And here, I, I really, you know, I hate to say it, on the law, on the merits, no way should he get protection from these civil suits. But will this court protect him? There, there's a pretty good chance, unfortunately. You th- because, I mean, like in, in this legal brief, I was reading about this. It's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. His lawyers are asking the Circuit Court of Appeals for D.C., to decide that another judge was wrong to say that the court should look at the contents of a president's remarks when they decide whether immunity replies. Their, their argument is, I'm going to quote them, examining the contents of a tweet or speech constitutes an intrusion on the executive. Uh, Corey, yeah. his lawyers are legally telling a judge <laughs> it's wrong of another That's judge crazy. to use his own direct statements against yeah. him. Corey, they are fleecing this guy for the billable <laughs> hours. This will tie up court for a couple of weeks, and they are just using Trump as an ATM. Come on. That you can't. Yeah, well, I, his, I hope Examining so. his speeches is an intrusion? Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Look, I could, I'm as outraged as you are, but I just think this court has strayed. So far, and they have hooks in it, you know, and it isn't just Republicans when it comes to this. There's been really a a concerted effort. I was going to say even a conspiracy of Democrats and Republicans, uh, including liberals uh, like Elena Kagan, to bolster the president's power. Now, some of them tried to do it during the Clinton administration. As you said, they drew the line and they said, look, in Paula Jones, President Clinton wasn't even president yet. There's no way that the sexual arrest. But here, as much as you and I think this is absurd, I I just worry they have enough wiggle room that they'll say, look, it was a 
speech that he gave while he was president. We say he was inciting an insurrection. That's crazy. Of course, it wasn't official duty, but the, he was he was president. And I think that's the worry that I have that the court will say, well, you know, if you were president, it's a world of difference from the world of Paula Jones, where he was he was not even in the White House yet. But we should also point out, though, like get ready to be outraged. (laughs) Well, and I don't know that I'm outraged. I actually kind of I I think it's kind of awesome that his lawyers are pulling these scam legal maneuvers (laughs) just to bleed Trump for money to make him more broke. I kind of love it. But the people that were first suing him were House Democrats who were hiding under their desks and fearing for their lives. They said the Capitol riot was the intended and foreseeable culmination of a carefully coordinated campaign to interfere with the legal process required to confirm the tally votes cast in the Electoral College. I mean, is this sort of... Are these lawsuits sort of like a shadow committee? Everyone's trying to get some kind of precedent to show that Trump is legally liable here? Look, you know, in our system, we've got a number of ways of holding people accountable. We've got the criminal process, which we're going to talk about, and which, you know, we're, we're just not sure that that's going to happen in regard to Trump. We have the congressional process that we talked about last week and that we'll talk about. And then you have just the ability of individuals who have been harmed, and certainly a lot of people have been harmed in January 6th. The police, especially, I hope, are um, uh, as many of them as as were beaten and, and bloodied, they, they should absolutely be front and center suing the president. So, yes, it's a third kind of accountability. But, you know, he's got this hook. And let's just remember, too, and, and I, you know, have been pressing this theme for a very long time, really since we began talking, but so much of what's wrong is that Nixon got away with it. And yeah, this is a, right. just one of the worst examples of it. Nixon should have been sued right and left for what he did during his time in office. And this Nixon versus Fitzgerald case basically protected him from all of those lawsuits. He never should have been protected from, you know, the, 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 the idea that these are official, you know, duties that he was carrying out. Often he was just acting in his own most craven self-interest, and yet the court immunized him from all of these lawsuits. I ho- really hope that that won't happen with Trump, but here's the reality. Mm-hmm. We have a more right-wing, more wacky Supreme Court, mm-hmm. way more than we had mm-hmm. at, at that time. Yeah. The, I mean, the only thing I disagree <laughs> with, sir, is uh, I actually think this is happening because we let the Confederacy get away with it before we let Nixon get away with it. We let yeah. Bush and Cheney get away with it. We let all the Iran-Contra criminals get away with it. What did you think... Yeah. Professor is seeing, seeing Merrick Garland on Lester Holt and then announcing that day that Trump was part of the subject of a criminal inquiry. I mean, I didn't expect them to actually come out and say it. And it seems like Merrick Garland is at least hearing all the outrage and frustration from Americans. I hope so. I mean, he speaks in such a measured, careful tone. And what he said to Lester Holt, it's true, true that he... He responded by saying nobody is above the law. We're looking at everybody who was involved, and the implication was certainly that he's looking at Trump. But the fact that it's an investigation doesn't tell us whether or not they're going to pull the trigger and really indict him. And, um, you know, I don't know if we should get into it now, but there are a number of reasons why I would just worry that the Department of Justice is inherently conservative and that he really is this, quote, unquote, kind of institutionalist. And, and, you know, again, this is fear and reality rather than what I want to happen. But, but Absolutely. as much as I think it's so justified, so necessary, really an obligation to indict Trump criminally and to try him, uh, you know, this, this department has a long history of really fearing 
politics. And as much as he was, you know, acknowledging that they are looking at Trump, he also was so cautious in his speech in a way that was really overboard trying to look nonpartisan. I mean, you know, look, my unpopular opinion is I don't care if he's indicted. I really don't. I don't care Mm. if he goes to jail. I just want is all I care about with Donald Trump is how the Democratic Party can use him to stop Ron DeSantis from becoming president. That's really all I care about is how much can to me the only value in Trump at this point. And I know it's not popular, but the only value in Trump is a how can we use him to tear the Republican Party apart and b how can we, I guess, use him to make sure that this never happens again. So maybe that's where an indictment is necessary. But yeah. now we hear that, you know, you, you'd think that the DOJ and the January 6th committee would be working hand in hand the whole time. It turns out they're more like, you know, cheating off each other's paper. The whole, But they've <laughs> now apparently worked out some kind of deal, right? They're going to officially begin sharing information. Yeah. W- what does that mean? Because I've heard this before, like the New York Attorney General and the Mueller report uh, or or the Manhattan right. DA and the New York Attorney General. What does it mean that, that they're actually going to work together and why wait till now? Well, the first thing is it's crucial that they act together because as much as the January 6th committee can get the information out, can teach the American public about what's happening, can find out what's happening through their power of investigation. They can't imprison Donald Trump. And just to go back to that last point before before I move on, I mean, I just think he is such a threat to the republic. If he does it again, he, he you know, he, he doesn't, he's not an elegant man, but he's figured out how to subvert the system. He's figured out that the first thing to do is to fire everybody and put the most craven loyalists in place, the Giuliani's and, and similar folks in the Department of Justice and Department of Defense. He'll have control in a way that he didn't before. And his criminally minded you know, ambition, which we know involves basically an attempted coup that could result in a real coup, he has to be stop through an indictment. I think the risk to the system is just so great that 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 has to move forward. Now, you know, part of how that happens and, and has ha, should happen is exactly as you say, as a as a as a effort, a combined effort. Now, there was during Mueller uh, something that happened. But, you know, now you have to bear with me to go back to Nixon again, because that's really okay. where it all began. The Nixon grand jury was looking into indicting uh, Richard Nixon, and then they decided, you know, through a variety of details that I'm going to uh, have in, in this book that I have coming out, to hand the information over to Congress, at least temporarily, and to try to have an impeachment bring down the president. Now, as much as impeachment failed during Trump, of course, it worked during Nixon. He wasn't impeached and removed, but the threat was so strong that that's what caused him to resign. He never would have done it without it. So what that did is it set this precedent of, okay, the criminal process and the congressional process are going to go hand in hand. They're analogous. The House of Representatives, when it's, um, for instance, in in its impeachment capacity, is analogous to the process of possibly indicting the president. And the thought just was during Watergate, now they were just making this up, but it never happened again. We're going to share information. So they created this pathway called the roadmap, which involves sending all the tapes that they had 
that the Congress did not have because they were the ones that were winning these cases, the grand jury, right. not Congress. And they basically were passing the tapes and the information that they had over through this roadmap process. Now, Mueller did the same thing. He realized, OK, you know, it's, even if I don't indict the president, a mistake, again, I thought when it came to obstruction of justice, uh, I'm going to pass over all the information to Congress so that they can use their constitutional power and duty of impeachment. So that's the process. Now, what's happening here with January 6th seems like it, we have very vague information, but basically a two-way roadmap that basically right. the January 6th committee is going to give things to the Department of Justice and vice versa. Well, that's my question. You know, yeah. Yeah. So we don't know the details, but it is, I think, similar to the roadmap of Nixon, similar to the roadmap of Mueller. And um, and by the way, of Ken Starr, also during Clinton, a similar thing happened, except for this crucial difference that it looks like it's a two way informational street. The reason we it, it is, you know, they're being very careful about it, as I said, with Garland. He doesn't want to make any mistakes because they are different processes, different institutions. One is about putting somebody in jail. and One is about telling the American people what happened. And so it's I true. think he was being probably maybe overly careful about that before. Well, and also, I mean, one of them is conducted in complete secrecy with zero leaks, and right. the other is on TV, and we right. read articles about how high the ratings were for each one That's versus right. the one before. Obviously, the three crimes that legal experts keep saying Trump is most likely to be investigated for are still obstructing an official proceeding of Congress, check, defrauding the United States, check, seditious conspiracy. Uh, I, I, I would say yes. But, you know, it because the hearings have been so public, we keep hearing about the DOJ getting information from the committee. It's quite possible the DOJ on their own has gotten all kinds of evidence. Yep. We haven't Absolutely. seen on TV in this delightful summer miniseries. Yeah. If you, if you read between the lines from the Lester Holt, interview, it seems like he has learned some things, not just he, meaning Merrick Garland, but the Department of Justice have learned some things from the January 6th committee. But you have to believe that they have teams of large numbers of professional investigators and that they have stuff that no one else has. Remember, they also have not just subpoena power, but the to me, the, the massive power that they have that the January 6th committee does not have was the ability to threaten people with jail time. And so right, as the, you know, as people start to fall and the, you know, the, 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 as Trump would call it, the ratting out <laughs> begins, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're able to trade uh, jail time for information and they're running this like a mafia case. They, they're prosecuting and have prosecuted the people at the bottom. They use that to move further to the top until eventually, I think, I, I hope that what they're trying to do is then squeeze those that middle level and, you know, make deals with people to, to avoid yeah. jail. When you're looking at going to prison, of course, I don't have to tell listeners this, uh, that's a pretty serious motivation to uh, start to sing. And so, you know, I think they have stuff. That's my gut instinct that, that we have not seen as, as shocking so, as what we have seen. This is, why, this is why I keep saying January 6th committee got a second season before Obi-Wan Kenobi did. Um, <laughs> we're going to get more episodes this fall. We're going to get new revelations, new plot twists. Um, Professor, before I let you go, I just want to ask you a hypothetical. What do you think are the risks of indicting Donald Trump? I know you support well, it, but what do you think are the risks yeah. that might make a DOJ reticent? 
I think that they think they're very institutionally conservative. They think that they're going to be perceived as partisan, if that that's the risk, that it could cause violence. I think that's another thing. And that it will, you know, basically stoke the sense that there is this deep state that's going after Trump. And I think those are real risks. But but as you know, I think they're they're way outweighed by the threat of a coup uh, person that wants to be dictator and that uh-huh. might have figured out how to do it. So good to talk to you, Professor. Everyone, follow Professor Corey Brettschneider at C on the socials. Corey, what a pleasure. I can't wait to talk next week. Thank you for classing up the joint yet again. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. we got to take a quick break. We will be right back. This is Progress. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. So I'm so thrilled to welcome this next guest to the show because there are many thinkers that we've been thrilled to get. And then there's thinkers that we try to get for years, but scheduling is crazy. And Wajahat Ali is a columnist you probably know from his work at the Daily Beast, a senior fellow at the Western States Center. Uh, He's previously been a New York Times contributing op-ed writer and a CNN commentator and a host for HuffPost. And he co-hosted Al Jazeera America's The Stream, which was such a good show. I loved it. His book, Go Back to Where You Came From, and other helpful recommendations on how to become an American is on sale now. He's also co-host, along with our friend Danielle Moody, of the Democracy-ish podcast, and I, I, I've, I had to get him on because his new piece in Daily Beast is something that's essential to both understanding what's going on in our politics and understanding how to frame it and push back. It's a piece called The Four Stages of Republican Misinformation. Mr. Ali, it's a great pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank you, John. I've been playing hard to get. But then once you got me, I proposed and you were like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let's just see how this first date goes. And I was like, I'll come on all the time. You're like, just ease, ease up, watch, back up. Back yeah, up. I think I think like a lot of guys, we neither one of us have wanted to seem too eager over this time. So I, I congratulate you on this mutual hard to get. And congrats on the great notices for your book. I want to have you Thank on you, another sir. time to, to talk just about that. Before we even dive in, how are you? How is your family? How are you guys doing during these crazy times? 
You know, we're doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, for those who don't know, my daughter, who just turned six, right before the pandemic, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer and needed a full liver transplant. And uh, over 500 people, mostly strangers, signed up to be uh, a liver donor. And then we found this anonymous donor uh, who gave a piece of his liver. And the girl, uh, Nuseba, just turned six. And now she did her first MMA fight yesterday. And my son is doing well. And we had a baby during that time. So... Uh, we've gone through a lot like most folks, but uh, that that journey has given us uh, a much needed perspective that every day you have to invest in some joy. You have to find hope even in hopeless times. And we have to fight what I believe and I think you'll agree with are forces of fascism that are coming after uh, a majority and democracy. They're coming after our rights. And I, you have a kid, I got three kids. And this is the time when we can't afford to be cynical and apathetic, which are cheap and lazy. Uh, we have to get in the ring and fight and do what we can with whatever superpowers that we have. Absolutely. And the video of your daughter meeting her donor is one of the loveliest things I've seen <laughs> in ages. Thank you for sharing that. And I agree with everything you're saying. It's natural to be discouraged during mm. these times. But I've come to believe in the era of Trump that despondency is privilege. Despair is privilege. And wanting to give up is part of the gaslighting that's being inflicted on all of us. Believing that both sides are equally shitty is sort of permeating the air. And, uh, you know, to me, when I hear people just despairing in the democratic process itself, I think, wow, this is how democracy dies. The fascist plan is working. And I, I especially think of it today because we're recording this the day we see people go through an outrage cycle at Vice President Kamala Harris for basically uh, meeting with disability rights leaders and being thoughtful and using inclusive language in describing herself to blind people. It seems like I said for a long time that the one thing the left and the right share is a, a, an addiction to umbrage. Everyone loves to be offended. Left, right, we all love to be offended. But the right have weaponized it. And this yeah, piece the you've white, written... The white has please. weaponized outrage and perpetual victimhood, right? Bad faith complaints. And the problem with this both sides framing that you described is that the Overton window has shifted to the right. So the center is no longer the center. The center has shifted to the right. Everything to the right of that is conservatives. Everything to the left of that, which is the majority, like 70%, is seen as leftist, right? And every single institution, John, especially media institutions, we've been in this game a long time, we bend the knee to bad faith right-wing actors and, like you said, fake outrage, especially over this story, which is now trending, where our, our vice president is being penalized for being kind and thoughtful to an audience of, 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 of blind individuals, right, and using inclusive language. And we know specifically on social media, this has caused this disruption, these isolated cocoons, this right-wing ecosystem that radicalizes otherwise sane individuals and weaponizes this disinformation, right, to the point where a third of Republicans now believe they have to use violence to take back their country from the rest of us who are, wait for it, pedophiles and Satan worshipers. I'm not making that up. That's what they believe. Yeah. And it's like the Charlie Brown, I always, like the analogy I give is the Charlie Brown uh, cartoon where Lucy's like, has the football and Charlie's like, all right, you're not going to lift it away this time. And Lucy's like, no, I won't. And what happens each and every time she lifts the football in this scenario, the majority is Charlie Brown and their right wing is Lucy. And we fall for it again and again and again. And I'm just waiting for the moment where especially our colleagues who know better, especially in the media, say, you know what? My job is not to engage in a both sides false equivalence. My job is to be biased towards democracy and call out bullshit. I'd like to see that. And that's what the media is supposed to be. That's what journalism is supposed to be. But as you well know, the media 
and journalism are two very different things. And I have lots of people I love in what is called the corporate media. I've enjoyed working in the corporate media, doing a lot of shows. But I've had experiences on cable news shows that I'm sure you've done where I've had to come out and say, wait, you said the phrase Hillary's email scandal. There is no scandal. It's another example of how the framing that they use gets picked up by a media culture that doesn't care about speaking truth to power because that's not their job. That's the job of journalists. The media culture's job is delivering the highest possible ratings right. to the shareholders. We have to sell advertising time for the most nickels possible for diapers. So we can't risk offending anyone in Iowa. And it's why we see this per per perpetual chasing of the Fox News demographic by an industry that's so terrified of potentially alienating future viewers. Yeah, they're potentially alienating the same people who call them enemy of the people and want to inflict violence upon them, right? Uh, as a person who's worked in media organizations, uh, I can tell you that they're kind of like trained. It's almost like a Pavlovian response. We're like, oh, no, no, we cannot be perceived as biased. If we give John seven minutes, we have to give Mick Mulvaney seven minutes. Exactly. And now we're going to have Mick Mulvaney overtake this conversation and promote disinformation. The whole seven minute conversation is going to be hijacked by you, you know, hijacked by the disinformation you trying to pretty much, you know, inject some form of truth, right? And this is how the disinformation becomes mainstream. It becomes normalized. I'll give you an example. The biggest news of the day, in my opinion, should be the breaking news of last night where the Justice Department is actually potentially investigative Trump, right? For That's what we led uh, with. For criminal, you know, for criminal acts, specifically, you know, maybe seditious conspiracy or fraud. And also the emails that were released were these idiots. Thank you, Republicans, for owning us by being so transparent and reckless with your coup attempt. These emails where they're literally emailing each other their coup attempt. Right. If in, in a normal sane America, John, that should be the leading news of the entire month. But Steve Bannon did say this. He said the enemy is not Democrats. The enemy is the media. And he specifically said you have to flood the zone with shit. You have to yeah. overwhelm them, going back to your earlier point, right, where people are so exasperated. There's so much that 10, you know, career ending scandals of Trump end up becoming eh, one night's worth of headline. And because of the both sides false equivalents, the other 50 percent becomes uh, Kamala Harris using inclusive language. Yeah. And that's also how democracy dies. Yeah, and it's shocking. And again, a lot of times you feel like, do we have to dumb it down to reach the largest possible audience? But I think that's another example of the framing. No, we have to simplify it. And you do a great thing in this piece where you take arguably the two biggest political stories of summer 2022, the hearings about the January 6th atrocity, and the conservative attempts to trivialize and weaponize and dispute the awful story of a 10-year-old rape victim in Ohio who had to travel across state lines because the state wanted to force this child to carry and bear her rapist uh, baby. And you actually use the two of them side by side to show this, as you put it, a tried and tested four-part strategy to manufacture lies and outrage to fuel the march towards fascism. Um, you know, it is pretty shocking, but you, you, you nail it. I mean, you'd think that this story of this young girl might cause people to take some pause and reflect on the right-hand side, on the right side. You, you know, we know the dog caught the car. The dog wasn't supposed to catch the car. We're about to begin having regular abortion horror stories. This mm. history we'll record was the first one. You might expect some self-reflection from folks on the right, realizing maybe they went too far. But that's not what happened. 
No, look, 96% of House Republicans voted against the right to contraceptives in 2022. A majority voted the, uh, voted against uh, marriage equality. Uh, a majority vo- voted against uh, the right for a woman to control her body. 20 re- House Republicans today just voted against stopping human trafficking, which is, you know, mm-hmm. you would think that would be like a meatball down the middle. Hey, are you against human trafficking? I, I would hope everyone said, yeah, but 20 Republicans are like, nah. Uh, then you had Clarence Thomas in his concurring opinion openly say, we're going to go after marriage equality next and contraceptives, and they will ladies and gentlemen Mm -hmm. take them literally and seriously and you know john back in the day we're we're old heads we know that we knew that conservatives even if they hated abortion folks they believed in exceptions for rape and incest i'm just talking about a couple years ago yeah Uh, and even now a majority of uh, republicans i think it's about 56 percent say hey hey, there should be some exceptions if a 10 year old girl gets raped uh, she should have the right to abort that baby but now Zero exceptions for rape and incest. And this should, you know, even that. And let me add one more crisis I didn't talk about climate change. If you just told me, hey, guys, prove to me that there's no both sides here. Prove to me that the Republican Party truly is a radicalized and weaponized counter majoritarian force and prove to me that it's not just both sides. I would say, great. Here's one example and it'll settle the whole story once and for all. Republicans believe that climate change is a hoax created by China. Democrats believe in climate change, period. That's it. However, (laughs) what Republicans have done is they've been able to launder and mainstream this disinformation with this four-part strategy that I described in in the piece. And you did mention something which I think is worth uh, reiterating. It's not necessarily dumbing down, John, is that Republicans are good at creating narratives and stories that connect with people and, and, and inspire emotions. And then they rinse and repeat it. Most people aren't in the weeds like you and me. This isn't their job. They're true. overwhelmed. Income inequality, you know, a pandemic, uh, rising costs, right? They're trying to raise their kids. So you have to just break it down for them and explain to them what's happening. And once you connect the dots, people get it. That's why AOC is very smart at this. Elizabeth yep. Warren, Mallory McMurrow did a great job, right? Fetterman's doing a great job. And so what I tried to do in this piece is kind of give you an x-ray or a snapshot of the outrage machine that we started talking about in the beginning and why Republicans have been so useful at kind of uh, unleashing it to galvanize their base around these two issues, particularly the big lie and abortion. And and we see it all the time in the framing. I mean, right down to people consistently saying the Russia hoax, the Russia hoax years later, after Mueller gave us 10 counts of obstruction, after Paul Manafort was fired, from being the campaign manager because of his ties to Russia. But it doesn't matter. They create their own reality. And if it's only true inside the bubble, that can be enough. And so for all of us who were shocked when we saw the vitriol directed at the story of this 10-year-old girl, you break it down very calmly, the four steps they use. And I, I, I think this is so vital. Everyone needs to read this piece and remember, because this is the playbook. And the first step you lay out is that we all know it. Republicans will use any means necessary to get power. That is the addiction. That's all they care about on the individual level and the group level. It's a cult of selfishness, as we say around here. And so anything they do, you have to know, will be in service of getting more power. How does that apply to, say, January 6th and the 10-year-old girl story? Okay, so for January 6th, as we've seen just yesterday, Donald Trump and his Republican allies will use any means necessary to do a coup. 
this means inciting a mob. This means creating a war room to come up with bullshit ideas, a coup in search of a legal theory. This means pressuring the Republican uh, uh, state, uh, Georgia state secretary, secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger to find the votes. This means the fake electoral scheme, right? This means literally a violent insurrection to overtake the U.S. Capitol and overturn a free and fair election. When it comes to abortion, we have to look at the Supreme Court. As we saw, Mitch McConnell took a sledgehammer to democracy, cheated, did not give President Obama even uh, the right to hold a hearing for Merrick Garland, stole the seat, said it was a year before the election. We have to wait until the election. And then once people had already started casting their ballots, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. He said, 30 oh, million, sorry. 30 million. He casted their ballots. Yeah, 30, 30 million. million cast so sorry. I don't give a shit. My bad. I'm going to go against my own precedent. I'm going to bummer Amy Comey Barrett. Right. So now that you have stolen a Supreme Court seat, created a bullshit precedent that you you yourself betrayed. Now you have your six judges on the Supreme Court. Those six Supreme Court judges do not give a shit about the majority and instead want to impose their Christian nationalist view. And once they had the power, they said, that's it. We're going to bum rush uh, uh, all of the pretty much freedoms that have been gained in the past 50 years. We're coming after Roe v. Wade. And as I said, Justice Thomas has signaled that he's going after contraceptions and also uh, uh, marriage equality. But shockingly, John, shockingly, he did not mention loving v. Virginia. Yeah, which uh, allowed interracial <laughs> marriage. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Of all the precedents to uh, to suddenly care about, <laughs> and it's true. And this ties directly into Trump spending years talking about conspiracy theories about election fraud perpetuated by Democrats. He did it before 2016. Any state where he won, that was legitimate. Any state where he lost, it was clearly fraud. And he pushed it for so long that the narrative was already gospel in the minds of the true believers. Exactly. Which leads to the second step. And this is very important. You know, Timothy Snyder, uh, uh, author of On Tyranny and an expert on authoritarianism, said that post-truth is pre-fascism. Post-truth is pre-fascism. You have to create and promote disinformation and lies to radicalize this base through the right wing ecosystem. And to, like I said in the piece, kind of Jedi mind trick them into believing that they are actually the oppressed victims uh, and being oppressed by the actual victims. So when it comes to uh, the big lie, it's exactly that voter fraud, voter fraud, voter fraud. Uh, you know, I actually won. It's the deep state that's against me. And now a majority of Republican voters believe the big lie. When it comes to this abortion story, they're like, oh, my God, this is politically damaging to us. A 10 year old girl was raped and then she was denied uh, an abortion. She missed the deadline by three days. And then she had to go to Indiana to get the abortion. Hmm, what should we do? Let's lie. And so Fox News, <laughs> Tucker Carlson, Jesse Waters, Wall Street Journal, they all started casting doubt. This 10 year old girl is lying. This is a hoax. This is a fraud. And out of the gates, all of a sudden, a lot of people are like, wait, wait, with that 10-year-old girl story, that's just the deep state lying. So that's what right. happened was they're like, ah, this story is a hoax. The girl is lying. There's no proof that she actually had an abortion. And then later when the proof came, they did the pivot. And then the pivot was to the third step that we can unpack if you want to spend some time on this. I, I want to spend just a second more on it because as you phrase it, they create and promote disinformation and lies to frighten the base and Jedi mind trick them into believing they are being oppressed by the actual victims, that the actual victims are oppressing them. And, mm-hmm. you know, the core of this crown of, of, of lies is to make the heterosexual white Christian majority consistently believe that they are and have been an oppressed minority. That's and. Right. 
it 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 is so thorough in every way. In the case of uh, obviously, you know, Trump claiming election fraud, your votes were not heard. In the case of this young girl, yeah, they're lying to you. You're the victim. Jesse Waters called it a hoax. Uh, Carlson said politicians are lying about this story. I mean, only I think only the Wall Street Journal came out and owned up to the mistake and issued an apology, which is anathema to Trump world. Apologizing and taking responsibility is weakness. You never apologize, right? Which which is the fourth step. The third step, though, is the pivot. And the pivot is when it comes to storytelling, this is important. And when it comes to victimhood. So exactly what you said, we are the victims. We are being oppressed. Uh, they are trying to replace us. They are trying to weaken Western civilization. We, the white Christian man in particular, are the biggest victims. And the villain in this particular case uh, specifically, if you give it a name that inspires like a, a target on their back. And in this case, it became the doctor that provided the abortion. Correct. So they said this doctor. Oh, she's actually the criminal. You know what? She didn't report that the fact that she did this abortion, even though she did. And then the in- Indiana attorney general came on Fox News and said, I'm potentially going to prosecute her. And then once it was reported that she actually did report it, she's countered and she goes, I'm going to sue you for defamation. And they backed off, but they still kind of piled on then. They piled mm-hmm. on and started putting a target on this doctor's back. And this doctor has already had a target on her back because... Thanks to a right-wing anti-abortion website that is tied to Justice Amy Barrett. That's right. put her name and the name of six other physicians and also their place of work on a website in which they said, oh, these are, you know, basically criminals who are killing babies. And as a result of that lie and as a result of that targeting, this doctor testified last year that she got kidnapping threats against her daughter, the intimidation. And that's what happens is you intimidate, intimidate, intimidate. And going back to a point you made earlier, you want to pretty much exhaust the person. You want them to tap out. That's what they did also, speaking of targeting, to Lady Ruby and her daughter. These election workers who were simply trying to do her job and Rudy Giuliani promoted a bullshit conspiracy that put a target on their back. They said that Donald Trump targeted us. And as such, we tapped out. We went to isolation. We have trauma. Same thing with the Capitol Hill police officers. Fox News, someone on Fox News said they're, they're crisis actors. Led to them being traumatized as well. So you got to create a specific villain, target them, and then attack them through nonstop scapegoating, smearing, and intimidation. And it works. It's like lethal whataboutism. You know, it's a Hunter Bidening of anybody that gets in the way. Rusty Bowers is the best example. He comes up there, this lifelong Republican, supported Trump, even said he would support Trump again after his testimony, and just told the truth. Was true to his oath, was country over party, and Given the damaging information we were given about Donald Trump, the only pivot they could do was make lifelong loyal Republican Rusty Bowers the villain. And he's now been censured by the Republicans in his own party in, in the state of Arizona. And receiving death threats in, in his yeah. in his receiving death threats while his daughter uh, was actually, you know, dying. And then so the last step. Hello, my love. That's my babies right now who just come in. You can go to the pool, but right now I'm talking on a serious uh, FM show with John, okay? Okay, sorry about that. Uh, They just came home. Uh, So first is Republicans use any means necessary to achieve power. Second, they create and promote disinformation and lies to frighten their base. Third is they create a specific villain and target them. And the final step, once your lie is exposed, and this lie was exposed pretty quickly when it came to the 10-year-old girl, you don't apologize. You don't back down. You double down and then you pivot 
towards racism and fear mongering, right? That's always yeah. like the golden goose. And in this yeah. particular case, Tucker Carlson pivoted to the identity of the rapist. And he said, the real story, John, is not the is not this 10 year old girl who wants abortion. The real story is that an illegal alien raped her. Yep. And voila, the outrage machine starts again. The spin cycle go. never stops spinning. You never have to actually face up to the fact that you were wrong, even dishonest. It's not even about we were mistaken. I mean, it's we lied. But again, look over here. Look over here. Uh, Carlson said the obvious headline was not about abortion. It was about the crime committed by against a child who raped a 10-year-old, an illegal alien. So right away, you're right. We pivot right back to an old reliable thing to distract the audience. Look over here. And the illusion of right-wing virtue exists because they're always throwing out examples of people shittier than us. That was Donald Trump's whole campaign against Hillary Clinton. Folks, she's just as bad as me. So what do you have to lose? And it worked. You know, people that's what I want to tell people. They say, you know, the power of narratives, the power of you know repetition. It's silly. It's stupid. It doesn't work. Let me give you a quick example. I'm glad you mentioned that 2016 for a year, John, for a year, Republicans deliberately put out the narrative that Clinton is corrupt. They Trojan horse it through mainstream outlets with the book Clinton Cash, right, that the New York Times spent an extensive time talking about. And then through the right wing ecosystem, they talked about, you know, the conspiracy theories. And then through the hearings, remember the BS Benghazi hearings and email gate, which Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, uh, the Republican minority leader admitted in 2016 was done just to hurt Clinton. Now you repeat, 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 repeat. Fast forward a year, 2016. Because of the both sides framing, this right wing disinformation gets leaked into the mainstream and just enough people when they went to the ballot box, you know what was buzzing in their head, John? This Clinton is corrupt. Trump is corrupt. Both sides are corrupt. You know what? Eh, I'm going to go vote for Jill Stein. I'm going to sit out. I'm going to vote for Gary Johnson. You know what? I'll go vote for Trump. And voila, elections happen in the margins. She loses by 70,000 votes across three states. It works. This is what Republicans have realized, even though it's shameless, even though it's cruel, even though it's lies, the disinformation network and the four step strategy works. Our liberal friends are always saying we can't have any more time for incrementalism. Incrementalism is death. And I'm like, guys, the GOP has been showing us how incrementalism is the only thing that consistently works for 40 years. So where where do you see the Democrats right now? I mean, you know, it is very curious to look at where the party's at. There are initial polls saying there's a big swing of independent voters to Democrats, and it looks like keeping the Senate might be more reasonable. How do you feel the Democrats need to message going forward, considering the Republicans, as you've pointed out, have their formula down? So I think they're slowly realizing that the people are fed up. And I always joke that Democrats bring a policy paper to a knife fight and Mitch McConnell brings a bazooka, right? And if Democrats ever brought a knife, they knife themselves. Uh, People want passion. People want to fight. People want to see it. And I think the examples of John Fetterman, Mallory McMurrow, and even AOC and Elizabeth Warren, especially in light of uh, the abortion ruling, kind of gives you a signal, right? So Fetterman... At least he portrays himself to be an unorthodox guy who talks uh, to the people, who's willing to take on the fight. He's authentic, right? It resonates with people. Now, let me give you a quick contrast, John. The DNC leadership 
decided to run with Connor Lamb. Connor Lamb That's was right. like the most moderate man on earth. It's, it's like if Pelosi and Schumer were like doing a remake of Weird Science and they decided to make their <laughs> ideal Democratic candidate on a computer, it was Connor Lamb. Well, he's and a veteran. He's, voters a, he's, a, are, he's a veteran, which reasonably the Democrats could have thought that could help them, right? Yeah, white, veteran, clean cut, you know, moderate across the lines. And then Fetterman is this guy who wears overalls. He's blunt. He's plain spoken. This guy literally was like recovering from near death in the hospital. And overwhelmingly, he won the Democratic primary. What does that tell you? Right. Specifically, Mallory McMorrow, when the Democrats in April had the strategy to not respond to Republican bad faith attacks, calling them pedophiles. Mallory McMurrow said, F this, I'm not going to be called a pedophile. She got up in front of the state Senate, right? Did a four and a half minute clip that went viral and not only responded, but proactively responded as a white Christian mother and whose values inform her inclusivity and need for diversity. Huge response, right? You got Elizabeth Warren and AOC fighting back after the Supreme Court ruled its... um, uh, you know, one uh, against abortion. So if I'm the Democrats, Republicans have gone so far right, especially when it comes to abortion, when it comes to contraceptives, when it comes to book bans, mm-hmm. when it comes to the gender six violence erection, I would hit aggressively. I would hit aggressively nonstop. And the major theme narrative that I would say, John, is the following. Republicans are against freedom. Republicans are against liberty. Republicans are against democracy. And under that big tent, I would talk about January 6th, contraceptives, woman's right to choose, mm-hmm. book banning, climate change, and guns. You have a win on every single one of those pillars. I would simply yep. say Republicans care more about guns than our kids. And, and you have a win, right? Yeah. And so th- I would attack them on these issues. And I think they could take the Senate. And I think the House losses would be greatly minimized. And I think it'll set them up for 2024. That's, that's think, my TED Talk. I think you're exactly right. And I think your TED Talk is the Gavin Newsom 2024 model. I think we've already seen a preview of it. So I'm so grateful you could join us. Watch. Thank you so much. Before I do let you go, I, I, I do have to ask you, um, what is giving you hope at this particular time? What's giving me hope are those rugrats that just interrupted our first <laughs> a serious date. Uh, these three kids, they're lovely, they're kind, they're sweet, they're thoughtful, they know we're living in a pandemic, they wear their masks, they sanitize their hands, uh, they're good, decent kids, and I, you know, they're three caramel mocha skin kids with multisyllabic names, and I refuse <laughs> to tell them that their only inheritance will be victimhood, that Thank they'll you. be good sidekicks and tokens, you know, my job and our job is to fight to expand and stretch this country so that this country accepts them and celebrates them as equal co-protagonists. We're not looking for special status. We just want equal status. So really being a father to these three kids on a daily basis gives me both joy and hope. And it inspires me to fight every single day, even when I'm feeling exasperated, overwhelmed and despondent. We cannot afford to be cynical and apathetic. Wajahat Ali's new book is Go Back to Where You Came From and other helpful recommendations on how to become American. His essential piece in The Daily Beast is The Four Stages of Republican Misinformation. And you can hear him and Danielle Moody all the time on the Democracy-ish podcast. That was pretty painless. Thank you so much. I'm glad we finally made this happen. Well, thank you. The ball's in your court. I'll be waiting for your text. Uh, Please swipe right and invite me again. I don't want to seem too eager, so I'm going to wait like two days to text you, but not three, two, because I'll let you know I'm into it. And please thank your children uh, on behalf of me for being the generation that's going to solve climate change and Medicare for all. Please thank them for me in the future. 
in the future. I, I hope so. But we got to empower them. We got to do our job. We're working on it. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be right back. Louie in Florida, thank you so much for your patience on hold. Hi. Hey, I, I, uh, hey John, good evening. I, uh, I've loved your callers. The, the, vet, the Vietnam vet really kind of brought me to tears. I'm, I'm a Marine Corps vet. I've talked to you before. But I grew up, I, I was 10 years old when the Tet Offensive happened in 68. And, wow. You know, to me, I idolized those guys. You know, a lot of people thought they got spit on when they came home. That, that was a myth. Some that was a myth. Sure, but a lot... A lot of people that were on the left, I mean, my aunt was about as hippie as you get. She she had nothing but sympathy and, and compassion. That's everything I've always heard, yeah. I mean, people always say, like, you know, when you oppose the war, but you still, you know, be kind to the troops. They didn't ask to go. I, I, I mean, I, people talk to me about the, the stories of vets being spit on. I'm like, give me names. Give me names, because I don't know any liberal alive who would cotton to spitting on a U.S. serviceman just because they didn't like the deployment. It was the civilians that did it. But again, it swings both ways. These people are, you know, folks on the right are still more angry at Jane Fonda for her stupid protest than they are at McNamara for the lies and, and LBJ for the lies about Tet that sent all these men to their deaths. I have to admit, I was one of the, the morons that jumped on the anti-Jane bandwagon for a while. Well, that makes I sense. I get it. I, we, we all grew up with it. I mean, Hanoi Jane, growing up with it my whole life, and I'll be the first yeah, to say, I, yeah. I was a sucker for that. That's why I'm embarrassed, because I fell for the bullshit. And then when I started reading, you know, enlightening your mind, you know, is what people need to do, because when I read, the more I read, I was like, well, she's a young woman. She was trying to help stop she this war. She was trying she to save lives. Yeah, and exactly. yeah, she got she I, I got played. She got played. It was naive, but I mean, but she wasn't actually lying that we were winning the war like like no, the Nixon no, no. administration I, was. And, and how she's lived her life since then, uh, being she's eighty something years old, and she still does like this for, or she did for a while, do these protests and get arrested. Get in arrested as an eighty something year old person. And by the way, and also her. she she apologized to American veterans decades ago. But this is, you know, like our last guest talking about colonizing the mind, like right wing culture and media will program you to hate Jane Fonda, but they don't program you to hate the civilians who lied about that war and kept on feeding the lives of young men to this war profit machine. And it's people like you, John, that, you know, that give me hope. I, I like your comedy, you know, your kind of the, uh, the entertainment side of you, but I feel oh God. Thank your you. humanity. You know, Thank you. Oh, you know, and that inspired me and gives me hope. But I do agree with well, you. Well, I, I get that gets to come out on the radio and on stage. It's a lot more dick jokes, but uh, here I get to be, <laughs> we have, I mean, this channel has such sincere listeners. It's kind of, I don't know how you could work at a place like this and, and not be about embracing all of our common humanity. And I include our Republican friends as well, because a lot of them are, you know, nice guys trying to get out of a fascist, you know, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, my dad was a Republican, but he was like a World War Two greatest generation vet, but he was yeah. about, you know, running a business smoothly. He was for civil rights. I mean, 
he, yeah. he didn't drink the Kool-Aid like these guys do. No, today. this listen, this party now has got nothing in common with the Republican Party of Dwight Eisenhower. And Dwight Eisenhower, uh, you know, for all of his flaws, the reason why he's remembered as a, a good president, the last Republican to balance a budget, was because he had so much progressive policy and so much conservative policy. He turned the capitalism and the socialism up to 11. And that's what gave birth to the U.S. middle class. It is. And now speaking of the middle class, and I, I, I told your, your uh, producer, one of the things that, you know, I was a, I was a former union vice president, CWA Local 3108. Wow, thank Florida. you for your service twice twice over. Thank you for your service yeah, and, and the <laughs> in the armed forces I, and the unions. Yeah, well, I, 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 rem- I was not a vice president in the, in the 90s, but I was a union steward. And when, when, you know, Bill Clinton, who I liked <laughs> with all his flaws, and he was a character, and I liked... Um, Oh God, he's a former Marine too. He was uh, James Carville. God, he's a he's a who. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that they that they went ahead with NAFTA, and I want to think they thought that it was going to be a good thing for both parties, but it ended up being mm. a total bust. I mean, a complete yeah. bust. Completely. For, for the middle class, yes, the working class, and um, you yep. know, and, and Ross Perot, who was you know an interesting character. I met him once when I was in Hurricane Katrina working for the power company and he's like bought a building with cash just so we can give, but he was a bizarre cat, but anyhow. Yeah. Um, he was wrong about a lot of things, but he was, he was right about that. And Al Gore was right about a lot of things, but you know, this is how Bill Clinton got elected in 92 because they went to wall street and more or less said, Hey, I'm going to be better for you than Bush and Bush is a fuck up, but I'll do NAFTA. And wall street said, we like what we hear young Democrat. And you know, this is the whole notion of uh, the neoliberals and, and the and big rap on Clinton that he'll take to his grave. Ross, Ross Perot, that, you know, his line, hey, that brick sucking son here is your job's going south. I mean, my father <laughs> voted for, for Ross Perot. He couldn't stand either party. Yeah, Dennis Miller voted for Ross Perot. I remember. Although when he said the sucking sound of your jobs, I remember David Letterman said, what jobs is he talking about? But yes. Well, not his jobs, but I mean, the guys in the, right. in the, the steel, all the steel mills went down. Automobile yeah. plants went down. I can name you hundreds of plants, thousands of plants that went under. Exactly. And I'm now- still waiting for my NAFTA prize in the mail. And, you know, it's like at the time it was conservatives all pro NAFTA and then establishment Democrats, I guess, corporate Democrats, whatever you would call the Bill Clintons. It was the liberals who were furious and, and Ross Perot who was against it. Uh, and I think, you know, we've seen how it proved, how, how it turned out. And I don't think it well, particularly made a, life that much better for Mexico liberals. either. They they yeah, they sold us. Bill Clinton told us that we, we wouldn't have any more illegal immigration because there'd be so many manufacturing jobs in Mexico. The thing is, there are manufacturing jobs in Mexico, but they're not making ten dollars an hour like they thought. They're making two dollars an hour. Exactly. They're exactly. making pathetic wages. Oh, one last thing that I I heard. Um, forgot where I was. It was on a reputable source. Okay. That I think it was might be NPR. It was definitely okay. NPR the other day that they arrested a guy. Uh, a Mexican immigrant. I don't know if he was. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to say illegal. I don't like that term. But you know, documented right. or undocumented. But he gotcha. worked at a Hyundai parts factory in Alabama, and with him was a ten-year-old girl. It was like a sober alert. But it turned out she also worked at the parts factory in Alabama. Ten years old. Child labor still exists. Look it up. This is like. <sighs> this is a, this has happened. I heard this like during the week. Uh, you know, listening to NPR, and I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm, I'm, she was she was I'm, one of several uh, miners working at this. It was a it was a it was a 
like a contracted factory that made parts for a Hyundai assembly plant. I didn't even and know the this story. bullshit is, let me tell you the bullshit of the union fucking president. Hyundai's trying to be responsible for your uh. fucking plants. Mm-hmm. And that really tore me off. And that's another reason, like, you know what? If that place was a union shop, that would never happen. You're right. You're, you know what? You're damn right. Absolutely. And it's a very, very important point. If you don't like this exploitation of workers, if you don't like these kind of labor abuses, if you don't like income inequality, man, the demonization of unions since I was a kid. You know, it's like even if you don't like unions, you have to agree that working Americans have never had a stronger voice than the modern labor movement. And people who want to shit on unions. Don't rely on politicians. Unionize. You have to. Starbucks is proving it right now. I mean, we're seeing it, and it's and, heroic. And uh, Trader Joe's. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by the way, that's how it's going to have to be. It's going to have to come from American workers. It will not come from American politicians. It'll come well, from John, labor. I, I respect you so much, and thank you oh, for letting me Oh, thank you. No, I'm and, honored. Uh, thank you. Have a good one, man. Thank you. That you're far too classy a man to listen to this show. Thank you so much. We've got to take a break. When we come back, more of your calls. This is SiriusXM. All right, let's get to the calls. You guys have been waiting on hold a very long time. Uh, please make your points or threats as quickly as you can. Dave in Pittsburgh, you're back. I'm sorry you got cut off. Make your point about Fetterman. Uh, actually, I was going to go back to Tory and Black. Sure, really um, quick. Oh, that's right. Thank you. Please do. Yes. You know, the episode where uh, his partner goes off the wagon, you know, and comes an alcoholic, you know, he's saying to him, listen, man, I don't want you as my partner. You don't have my back anymore like this. Then the mm. next thing he does, he goes to his captain saying, hey, listen, He's still a good guy, but, you know, he needs help. If that doesn't show you what partners mean and what tough love means, I don't know what does. And can I what put show? real quick two things on your map? Okay. Uh, there's two people doing um, YouTube videos. One is called The Daily Doug. He's a classical composer, and he, you know, reviews classic rock, um, punk rock, uh, all sorts of things, and listens to him with his ear and tells you what's going on with them. Nice. The other one is called Legal Eagle. You know, this guy's a lawyer, and he looks at the laws, looks at judgments. I think you could enjoy both of them, maybe even get them on your okay. show, Okay. Thanks for the Daily Doug and Legal Eagle. They sound like they're going to be going a crime spree in Kenley, North Carolina. Dave, thank you for calling back. Thank you so, so much. Let me go to Mike in Michigan. Hi, Mike. Thanks for your patience. Hey, great. And I'm going to take a trip to Kenley, North Carolina, and uh, <laughs> see what the bank bank looks like there I know. <laughs> <laughs> what's on your mind the positive oh no wait anyway uh yeah he has got some good stuff there you're I telling just, me i just called i called my uh congressman uh, today tim Wal- Wahlberg, and uh I, I talked to the his her his guy there you know on the phone i said we should tell uh tim to uh Institute uh, start a Brittany Griner bill, okay, to legalize weed throughout the U.S. and maybe the world. 
<laughs> well, I don't think we can. I don't think we can impose our laws on other countries. Although America has a quite a history of trying to do that, but um, I, I would settle for just decriminalizing it here. You know, if if like like if if um, we had a caller the other night saying, "What if a, a Russian athlete came here and they had weed? We'd put him in jail." And I'm like, "Yeah," and that would be wrong as well. This woman had the oil of a flower in a bag, and she's been in jail for five months. For God's sakes, let her go. It would be nice if it would be nice if someday we we as a nation uh, could decriminalize or legalize cannabis, and we could finally catch up with the likes of uh, Thailand. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. hey, they're they're way ahead by of us. Way, by the way, this uh, the same Tim Wahlberg, my congressman, right? He mm-hmm. voted. I didn't know this until I found out the burn pit bill died in the Senate. I looked at in the history and he voted against it even though it did pass the house oh for god's sakes this creep voted against it so yep and they voted for it the first time and then they voted against it because too much health care